Good morning. Once again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, God is worthy to be praised uh, for all that he has done, for all that he is doing, and for all that he will do. Uh, he is also worthy to be praised because he is who he is. One of the things included in the idea of praising God is that God is to be celebrated. And the celebration is a time of rejoicing, and we are commanded and exhorted to celebrate the great God of heaven. Uh, this should be reflected in our mood and in our manner. God is worthy of the very best that we have to give in everything. The psalmist has declared in Psalm 148, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. And certainly when we uh, come together to offer God praise, and let us never miss the fact that uh, we do not just praise God when the church assembles, uh, together on Sundays, but whenever we praise God, that God ought to get the very best that we have to give. Uh, now, that does mean when we come together on Sundays uh, that I ought to go to bed early enough Saturday night uh, that I can stay awake through the duration uh, of the service. Every time you go to sleep, it's not my fault. We ought to come ready to give God the very best uh, that we are able to give. And for all of God's blessings, we ought to be eternally grateful. Uh, good to see uh, the addition to the family this morning. And what better way to uh, start a day than to see uh, two souls put Christ Jesus on in baptism. Uh, Aaron, in particular, gave me a picture last week that she had drawn herself, uh, and it was a picture of me. Now, you know, a lot of time when people draw pictures of you is, is not the most flattering picture in the world, uh, but she did an excellent job, uh, and she had listed there the scriptures for the plan of salvation and had me saying, uh, eternally grateful, which says that she's paying attention uh, to appreciate that I say that Sunday after Sunday. We are delighted to have them uh, as members of the family. Uh, this is another testament of God's grace. We want to direct your attention this morning to Hebrews chapter 12, the text that was read into our hearing. Uh, we want to read again there, in particular, verse number two. Uh, there, and I, I try to say the Hebrew writer, I'm going to say Paul at some point, so I'm just going to start saying Paul in the first place. Uh, there Paul declares, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Based on the words recorded for us there in Hebrews chapter 12, we want to use this morning as a subject, the shame of the cross. 
And for the month of July, uh, we will be using as a sub-theme, Things Jesus Endured. Now, as we consider the text that we have before us here in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, there is no missing that the apostle uh, is presenting Jesus as our example. Observe that we are exhorted to look to Jesus in verse number two, and also to consider Jesus in verse number three. And the exhortation of the text is helpful because the lessons learned from Jesus's life will aid us in the race that is the Christian life. Every follower of Jesus will come to learn at some point that there is a cross to bear and a price to pay for running this race in Jesus' path. We learn from the example of Jesus uh, that the key to dealing with one's enemies is learning to master oneself rather than relying on fair or just treatment. Now, I'm not saying we ought not treat each other fairly and justly. What I'm saying is the reality is that we don't always do. And if it's going to ruin my day that I'm not always treated fairly and justly, then you probably won't have too many good days in your living. Now, the, uh, Paul tells us, number one, that Jesus endured the cross. Now, it was bad enough to die at all, the just for the unjust, uh, but it was even more humiliating to die by crucifixion because only the worst criminals were usually executed by that means. Uh, in your Bibles, in Philippians 2 and verse number 8, uh, uh, there Paul says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, notice Paul says, even the death of the cross. Uh, 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 that says to me that there was something about dying on the cross that, that was even uh, uh, more severe or, or some, something to be noted uh, uh, than your typical execution. Crucifixion was not only torturous and, and brutal, it was very demeaning. But then consider further that Paul says he despised the shame. Now, when he says that, it, it means to count as nothing the stigma that such, such a death carried. Uh, again, in your Bibles, in Galatians 3 and verse number 13, uh, Paul says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. To be executed by crucifixion was to be humiliated and uh, disgraced. Now, I I'm sure we all have heard the old expression, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And, and, and I'm not mad at you if you subscribe to that. I, I believe there's a great deal of truth to it. Uh, but the view of the cross has changed since the days of Jesus. And I, I, I tried to think of something uh, uh, comparable uh, uh, in our modern day to the stigma that the cross would have carried in Jesus's day and the best I could come up with 
uh, uh, was the, the novel, The Scarlet Letter. Now, now, have you ever read that novel? Now, if you haven't, I'll, I'll give you just a, uh, uh, you know, I won't spoil it for you. I won't say, well, I was gonna read it till you told me what it was about. I, I, I'll tell you just enough to make, make the point and, and then you can go read it uh, if you want to. But, but uh, one of the main characters was a woman by the name of Hester Prynne. Now her husband had been missing for some time and was presumably dead. Now Hester turns up pregnant, which means the baby was fathered out of wedlock. And so what they did, they made her wear this red letter A, which stood for adulteress. And every time she went out, she had to have that red letter A on. Now you can imagine, because you know people then were just like people today. If we didn't notice anything else about Hester, we'd notice that red letter A and would find it our business to tell somebody what that red letter A stood for. Now, not only would we tell people what the A stood for, but you know, we would have treated Hester a little different. Uh, you know, if she sat next to us uh, on the subway, we would have moved down some. Uh, uh, if she had a question at work, we, we would have made ourselves scarce. So it, it, nobody really would have wanted to deal with her because of the stigma that was attached to wearing uh, uh, that scarlet letter. Now imagine having to wear that A when Puritanism was so prominent. Now, you, you know, in, in our world today, morals are loosening all the time. You know, there was stuff that, you know, you used to hide and were ashamed for folk to know that now people wear like a badge of honor. Uh, you know, there was a time if you were living together and weren't married, you really didn't want anybody to know about it. Uh, 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 there was a time if somebody had a baby before they got married that people didn't celebrate the fact. But you know, we, we live in a world now where people look at you funny. It, it, when you have some godliness to your morals, but, but, but imagine back then when, uh, uh, and I imagine some folk today would say they were still a little stiff in the collar back then, but, but, but imagine back then wearing that letter A, the, the look that Hester would have got every time she went out into public. Well, the cross carried such a stigma. And when we read what Paul tells us here in Hebrews chapter 12, we understand that Jesus had to make a choice. And the choice was between enduring the cross and the shame that it carried or, or saving himself. Now, we know from retrospect what he chose. In John 10 verses 17 and 18, uh, the Bible says, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I, may, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. But appreciate what Jesus chose was so much more than just dying physically. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to die physically, but I'm going to bear uh, all the shame of that kind of death when none of it, it, it have I deserved. Now, Jesus chose that. Now, remember what Paul said, look to Jesus. Now, if Jesus could choose to suffer some things that the Father's will might be accomplished, 
that then I think Paul is saying to us that we ought to be able to suffer some things that the Father's will be accomplished. When we look at the cross, the, the, the physical suffering of a cross was exceeded by the shame attached to it. Now, Jesus willfully accepted this suffering and shame on our behalf. Now, somebody said, well, preacher, what exactly uh, uh, was the shame of the cross? Well, I submit to you, number one, that when we talk about the shame of the cross, we are talking about the shame of being naked before the creation. It was the practice in ancient times to embarrass and shame defeated soldiers by stripping them and par parading them in front of their conquerors. Can you imagine here you are a soldier and they, they take not only your weapons, but uh, your, your uniform or whatever it was you wore when you went into battle and they made you walk naked in front of your conquerors. It was a symbol of total defeat and submission to the conqueror. You know, when somebody beats you so bad that they can just march you around naked, that they have beat you as bad as you can have been beaten. But this was also done to those that were crucified. And there is a hint of this uh, in the gospel accounts. And in your Bibles, in Matthew 27, verse 35, it says, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Now, uncovered, the one that was crucified would not only have been exposed to the elements, but also to the glare of onlookers. Now, uh, you know, it's summertime. Now, some of us go out with, I, I, I think they call them parasols. Now, now, if you like me, it's just a fancy name for umbrella. Uh, you know, you go out with something to keep the sun off of you because that direct sun can be brutal. Well, when you were crucified, not only were you exposed to the elements, but you were exposed to anybody that was there to witness the crucifixion. And I believe it takes a special person to despise the shame rather than the ones responsible for the shaming. Do you remember Jesus, Luke 23, 34, where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I would imagine that there were a whole lot of people in that case, if you had got to the, uh, uh, be crucified in the first place, that he wouldn't have been saying, Father, forgive them. Uh, uh, it would have been some words of retribution and revenge uh, uh, coming from most people. Y'all might have the upper hand now, but just hold on. Just watch what's coming down the road. But Jesus despised the shame. And I would venture that we have all at some point been mocked, mistreated, or perhaps even abused. But unlike Jesus, none of us can rightfully assert that we have never been guilty of the same. See, now, if people have mistreated me, well, it's true that we've mistreated people too. If people are making fun of me, well, it's true that we've made fun of others. And do you remember the Council of Solomon? I, I, I don't have it on the screen, but in Ecclesiastes 7, Ecclesiastes 7, verses 21 and 22, Solomon says, also take no heed unto all the words that are spoken. Now, now, when he says spoken, he's talking about don't listen to everything people have to say, 
because they might be talking about you. But then he said, don't get too bent out of shape, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. But then watch verse 22. For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise has cursed others. See, we may have taken some, but we've also dished some out. So Solomon said, look, don't get all indignant when people talk about you. It's not like you haven't talked about anybody uh, either. Uh, you know, last week I talked about throwing shade. Don't, don't get mad when somebody throws some shade. You've thrown some yourself. It, it, don't let it bother you too much. Don't get too bent out of shape when people mistreat you and act like it, it, it's the worst crime that has ever been committed and we need to take this to the Supreme Court. Solomon said, you know, you've done folk wrong yourself. And, and if you don't know what wrong you've done, people, I'm sure there's somebody here that would be glad to tell you. But Jesus suffered the shame of being naked before the creation. But not only did he suffer that, but he also suffered the shame of being numbered with criminals. In Isaiah 53 and verse number 12, it was prophesied, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, the word transgressor means quite literally a lawless person. And to the Jewish mind, a transgressor would have been equated with, with a sinner, which class included the Gentiles, prostitutes, and the hated tax collectors. Now, can you imagine when folk talk about you, that's who they think about? They think about Gentiles, prostitutes, and tax collectors, and that's the group that they group you in with. To be numbered means to be considered the same as. Thus, the one who knew no sin was considered by many to be just as bad as sinners and criminals. And, and, and I get that you don't let people you know, define you. We, we, we try to teach our kids and even our grandkids, look, don't get bent out of shape when people call you a name. If that's not on your birth certificate, then they really weren't talking to you in the first place. I, I, I get that you don't uh, uh, let other people define you. And, and, and I get that, that, that I need to be secure enough in myself uh, 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 that I don't allow others to reign on my parade. But having said all of that, if you're going to tell my story, tell it right. Now, I'm not saying I want you to tell all of it, but, but the parts that I've signed off on, if you tell that, tell it right. If you quote me, quote me accurately. Don't, don't go around saying I said, and then say something I didn't say. In fact, if you're gonna quote me, say exactly what I said and don't try to define what I said. If somebody wanna understand what I meant by what I said, let them come ask me because nobody knows better than me what I meant by what I said. Nobody likes to be misrepresented. And I get that the people that know you and that love you will at least give you the benefit of doubt. But what about the people that don't know you? Can you imagine the folk that don't know you and somebody comes saying all these negative things about you? And, and again, you know how we are. 
You know, we, we, we don't always need proof before we jump on a bandwagon and, and, and we'll ride it and even defend it as if the stuff that I took is hearsay, I know to be gospel. See, we can poison people against a person they don't know by the way we represent that individual. Now, can you imagine being represented as being in the same category with Al Capone or Pablo Escobar or, or Jim Jones or David Koresh? Can you imagine when people talk about you, they, you, they lump you in the same category as those individuals? Well, well, here you have the son of God who has committed no sin in, in all of his living, but he's being represented as being like those individuals. And then third this morning, I submit to you that Jesus bore the shame of being nothing to the crowd. You know, nobody wants to be nothing. You know, if nothing is your aspiration, well, you know, you, you just got a problem. Nobody wants to be nothing. Now, now you may not want to be the most famous person, the, the most uh, well-known, the best dressed, but, but nobody aspires to be nothing. Now, the one who should have been thanked and praised for his sacrifice was instead reviled and rejected by those for whom he was dying. Uh, in your Bibles in Matthew 27, uh, beginning at verse number 39, the Bible says, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. And then verse 44, the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now you wanna talk about restraint. You know, it's nothing like folk bad mouthing you to egg you on to do something. So here you have all these folk that I'm dying for, if you really are the son of God, as if you all had no idea of the miracles that I've worked the time I've been here as if some of you all hadn't plotted to kill Lazarus because you know for a fact that I raised him from the dead. And here you are talking about save yourself. Now, if we had got that far in the first place, I can imagine some of us would have levitated right on down from there and, and asked him, how you like me now? <laughs> now? Now what you got to say? What you gonna do now that I'm not up on the cross? See, anybody could talk while I was hanging up there, but now that I'm down, what you gonna say now? If he be the son, well, I'm God's son. That's what I've been trying to convince you all of the whole time I've been here. The shame of being nothing to the crowd. And sadly in our world today, there are still many that do not honor Jesus as Lord. 
Do you remember the words of Jesus, Luke 6, verse 46? He said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Jesus said, you can say what you want to, but if you won't obey me, then you're really not honoring me as Lord. He bore the shame of the cross that we might be reconciled to God because of our own sin. The provision that he set in place is what we need to obey. And when we search our Bibles, we find that God requires that we hear this good news that Jesus was willing to bear the shame of the cross, that he was willing to die on our behalf, that through him we might live. Romans 10 verse 17, the Bible declares that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Requires that we believe Jesus to be the Christ, the son of God. John 8 verse 24, Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. We must be willing to repent of sin. In Acts 17, 30 and 31, the Bible declares that there was a time that God winked at ignorance, but now he commands that all men everywhere repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by Christ Jesus. We must be willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Matthew 10, verse 32, Jesus says, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. And we must be willing to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. In Galatians 3, 26, 27, Paul declares, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And the only way we ever read about people entering into union with Christ Jesus in the Bible is by being baptized in obedience to the gospel message. When we go down into the waters of baptism, God washes away our sins by the blood of Christ Jesus and dwells us with his spirit and adds us to the church that Jesus purchased with his blood. When we come up out of the waters, it is required that we live obediently in God's service. In Ephesians 5, 15, 16, Paul declares, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. If you are here this morning, uh, then we bid you to come. If you are listening on one of the social media outlets, then we bid you reach out to our elders at elders at laurelchurch.net. Uh, but either way, we will make provision to baptize you into Christ uh, this very day as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation. <laughs>